Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes to date available at Audible in audio format, Amazon and iTunes. Yes, that's right, folks. Volume 10 is now out in paperback, and sometime in the not-too-distant future, we'll be laying that down in audible format. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Okay, chugging along here. Starting with the spring cleanup, <laughs> and uh, oh my god, this endless stuff to do outside. Oh, I was doing the same so, thing uh, early this morning. It's like I'm looking at everything, saying, "Oh boy, when is this going to get done?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a project. <laughs> I I had two guys in my yard yesterday, basically for the day, and they were just. Uh, Attacking all kinds of stuff that I had been working on, and it's just too much for me, man. I just, I had to get some, uh, recruit some help. <laughs> yeah, the good news is I, I planted some perennials last year, like redid a couple of flower beds, and it looked yeah. beautiful last year, but I don't know how it is for you, Bill. When you plant these flowers, you, you spend the money on them, and you got your fingers crossed that they're going to come back next year. And they did come in, and they look beautiful, so I'm happy about that. Well, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Always good when the perennials actually make another appearance. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sporadic, you know. I I don't keep tabs on things as far as what I spend on plants and stuff, but the amount of stuff that I have planted and what's actually there now is insignificant. I mean, right. most of the perennial stuff just never happened again, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess so, they only uh, get so many... Uh, times through you know what i mean and then they're exhausted or whatever the bulbs but uh usually okay. they spread out as well like the i know my daffodils are fantastic they multiply like crazy but you know i, I wonder if i wonder if i'm a bulb because i'm pretty exhausted yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah somebody uh, i asked my friend the other day i'm like are you retired and he was like no i'm just tired <laughs> <laughs> I said, I got to yeah, use I'm that re- one. I'm not retired. Right. I'm just tired. <laughs> right. That's right. All right, it's man. just lingering. Are you ready? 
We are going ready for action. Venture into cryptids in the news and other oddities, and uh, today we're going to look at the hairy man himself. You know, once in a while, we uh, leave the world of the absolute freaky deaky, and we come <laughs> back and just talk about the hairy man. So we're going to do that today. Awesome! Awesome! Yeah, and we're going to. What bench- do you got? The- yeah, we're going to venture into the Gifford Pinchot National Forest in Washington, which, as okay. you know, is one of the hotbeds for Bigfoot sightings over time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's affectionately known as the GP out in Washington State. So we're going to go into the <laughs> GP, and that's going to lead us, the discussion of the GP and some of the happenings there are going to lead us to one of the most famous Bigfoot imprint casts known as the Skookum cast from Skookum Mellow yeah. in the GP. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that is a hotbed up there. That whole area right. is just rife with people running into the hairy fella. Yeah, and, exa- and, and in fact, and we covered this account in detail, the first reported sighting of Bigfoot up in uh, the GP was in the 1920s, and that was when the group of miners were attacked by these ape-like creatures. Remember the uh, tales of Ape Canyon, as it's known now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's there's uh, there's so much going on over there uh, that uh, it boggles the mind that people just keep see. Obviously, they live there. It's like you coming into my neighborhood. You're going to see W.J. out in the front lawn. Yeah, (laughs) moving some mulch around. Yeah, yeah, maybe attacking you if you get too close. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's interesting. You know, so in prepping for this podcast, I was watching this. There's a plethora of videos of different people that are Bigfoot hunting up in uh, Gifford Pinchot. Uh, National Forest, and uh, when you watch some of those YouTube videos like I have, man, it is, it looks like where you would find a Bigfoot, and in fact, I had to double check, because I was like, man, this looks a lot like the background of the, uh, you know, Patterson-Gimlin film, but of course, Mm -hmm. that was in Northern California, not in Washington State, but same thing, though. We like trees falling down everywhere, a super dense forest, you know, yeah. rocky riverbed next to the forest, you know, pretty uh, pretty uh, wild natural habitat for the hairy man. Yeah, and I stand my ground. You know, it it it's nothing new, right? I mean, what I'm about to say is nothing new, but you find the cover, you find the water, uh, you find the Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, they need water. They like cover. Who? What animal doesn't prefer seclusion over, you know, being in a wide open prairie, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it seems that more often than not, you're going to find them in a dense forest, and that's where they're at home. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So we'll move from the 1920s uh, to 2000. Okay, year 2000, so 23 years ago. And uh, there was a a famous sighting there of Bigfoot on July 16th, 2000. So this is in the summertime. And it was reported Mm -hmm. by a group of campers 
you know, out mm-hmm. having a good time. And they all yep. said that they saw a large, hairy, bipedal creature walking through the forest near them. And they say, according uh, to them, they were in their tents when they heard strange noises coming from the outside. And when they looked out of their tents, they saw the creature that stood between seven and eight feet tall, covered in dark brown hair and walking upright like a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And they also described the creature as having a strong, musky odor. And admitting a low growling sound. Yeah, interesting, you know. Yeah. Not not unlike a thousand other uh, sightings or encounters. And, you know, again, here's a group of campers. They have no axe to grind. Why are you posting this if it didn't happen to you? Right, right. You know, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't see, I can't. Time. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around the other side of the liar, the baloney. Uh, I think these people <laughs> saw it and decided, hey, you know, we ought to post this, you know. Somebody yeah. out there may be interested in it, you know. Well, yeah, and they actually reported it to the local authorities. And mm-hmm. the local authorities dispatched a team to search uh, the area and investigate. And the team conducted a thorough search of the forest but didn't find any uh any evidence mm-hmm. now since then there's been uh, other sightings many other sightings and again in 2000 around the skookum meadow uh some folks saw a bigfoot and some researchers went out there like they did in the first first go around same year and they mm-hmm. did collect evidence of the plaster cast now known as the skookum cast mm-hmm and this cast, you know, is one of the most famous imprints, and uh, it's been analyzed by lots of different experts, including, you know, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, uh, who folks, a lot of, lot of you know, is a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University. <laughs> and Meldrum believes that the Skookum cast is one of the best pieces of evidence for the existence of Sasquatch. Yeah, and you've seen that, of course, and I have as well, you know, and that's that's the cast of the creature. Basically, they found an area where it appeared to be laying down. Yeah, well, this is the footprint, though, so it's... Oh, yeah. okay, okay. This is the footprint, so it's 16 inches long and 7 inches wide, and it was mm-hmm. a very deep impress- impression, you know, indicating that the thing was pretty heavy. Um, the, the foot ha- has five toes... including what looks like a large uh, posable big toe that is angled away from the other toes, which they say Mm -hmm. is characteristic of uh, a primate's foot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, some type of primate. You know, it's it's interesting. If you look at some primates, that is, in fact, the case. Right. You know, that angled great toe. Yeah. you know, I don't see them enough. You know, where am I going to see a primate unless I see it on television moving around? I don't see them but, when I uh, look down at my toes either. How about you? Yeah, yeah. But I have seen them, like, standing on a limb, and you could see that uh, that great toe kind of in action. Yeah. It almost seems to be like a balancing point. or It's deliberately made in that way to help them, you know? Yeah. No doubt about it. And and listen, we have accounts of Bigfoot in trees. 
So yeah. I, I think that a lot of these people aren't seeing Bigfoot because they're actually over their head. Yeah, you know, hiding out in that. the top. Yep. Yeah. Certainly it's interesting, you know. Yeah. Cool. Look, Kev, you, Kev, you hike a lot. I mean, yep. how much time, if you're hiking in uh, some deeply forested area, like when you lived up in uh, Washington State, yep. how much time when you're in the forest are you actually looking up unless you've heard a bird and you wanted to look to see if you could see it? Most yeah, of the time little. you're looking at your feet. Yeah, well, you got to see where you're going to step, you know. Yeah. A lot of time when you're hiking, you know, you're not walking down a paved trail or a gravel trail. You're walking on something that's often, like, especially if you're going up. Like, if you're going up uh, a mountain, a lot of times you're walking where the water often runs down. So the water yeah. erodes away a lot of the soil, and you're, like, walking on exposed rocks. And you're definitely concentrating on where the heck is my next foot going to go more than looking up in the trees. You know, the only, like That's I said, right. the only time you look up in the trees is to see, if, you know, you hear a bird or something like that. You look up or to get a glimpse, if you can get a glimpse of the sky in case there's weather coming in. But a lot of times you can't even see the sky, you know, when you're hiking in the forest. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my point. I mean, yeah. A creature like this could be right above you in a tree, wrapped around it up 60 feet, uh, tucked behind it, knowing you're coming, by the way. You know, surprise to them, for God's sake. And uh, just sitting still, waiting for you to go by. No doubt about it. Yep. You know, I can easily, easily see that occurring on many occasions, you know. Yep. So I think it's more of a rare occasion when the creature decides to do some type of vocalization or noise or grunting or growling, to me, that's when it, it has made a decision for whatever reason to expose itself to you. No doubt about it. Yep. You know, other than that, I think it's stealth mode all the time. And if you happen to catch a glimpse of them, uh, you're fortunate. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, right. you're fortunate to have seen them. Yep. No doubt about it. So... Cool, Interesting, man. though. Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's, that's uh, and again, if you get a chance, check out some of the videos on YouTube of this uh, part of the country, and you will have no problem believing that there could be a, a giant hairy creature or a, a, a group of giant hairy creatures roaming around in the forest uh, up there in Washington. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's really interesting, you know. I that whole area of up there, Gifford Pinchot, uh, that's a national forest, right? Yep, Gifford national Pinchot forest, National yep. Forest, and there's a couple of national forests up there. Uh, I told you, my friend Dave uh, was in the uh, over by the Olympic Peninsula with that logging crew when they had numerous people uh, saw the Bigfoot. Uh, and he actually saw it solo first and said nothing to anybody. And then the whole a whole crew was exposed to seeing this creature walking down a cut line uh, in a, uh, a, a job site. And, man, there ain't nothing up there, my friends. Yeah. I mean, Dave has sent me photographs looking out over these vistas. 
And there is just nothing there except for these men logging and whatever else Bigfoot may be out there. So it's 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 we're not taking any big jump here to say there are no, other things. No, no, no doubt about it. They're, they're, you know, it's very believable that there is, in fact, something up there. No doubt about it. Yeah. And then you take uh, areas where we're seeing uh, these creatures where, you know, people are in somewhat of a residential area. And see, Kev, you know, when I think of residential, I live in a residential area. But uh, you take somebody who has maybe 25 homes spread out over several hundred acres they're also calling that a residential area. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. You know, and that's not where I live. So it's easy for them to have something wander into a space like that when you're surrounded with forest and uh, 25 homes have been built on large plots of land uh, in the midst of that with some uh, roads being brought in so they can get to their houses. But basically, you're in their house. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and, you know, situation. this place is very rural because, you know, this forest, just to give it a little bit more of a setting. So you talked about the Olympic Peninsula, which, of course, is all the way out on the Pacific Ocean on that little mm-hmm. uh, strip of land that separates mainland Washington state. And then you have like Puget Sound between the Olympic Peninsula and Washington state, like Seattle and Ana Cortez and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. moving further east in Washington State, the the biggest mountain is Mount Rainier. And mm-hmm. then this national forest is east of Mount Rainier. Um, right. Not too far, but, you know, east of Mount Rainier. And on a good day in Seattle, which, you know, you don't have a lot of great visibility in Seattle, although I swear some of the people that live there just say that so that no one moves there. Um, mm-hmm. But you can see... Mount Rainier from Seattle, uh, which is spectacular. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, always snow covered, Mount Rainier. And I think, yeah. uh, at least when I lived there, it was in the center of the Washington State license plate, too. So I don't know what they have on it these days. We don't see many of them in North Carolina. No, and I mean, the amount of foot traffic going in through a place like that is like negligible at low, best. Low. So, you know, I mean, a man's presence in that area is like, uh, you know, non-existent it's rare. for the most yeah, part. It's you rare. Know. Boy, oh boy, what a oh. joint. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got today, Bill? What kind of creep fest account? <clears throat> well, you know, it's interesting because this, uh, uh, this is another account coming out of the Northwest Territory in Canada, uh, told to me by Dr. Edwin Graves, uh, an an oncologist from the Midwest United States. And this is what Dr. Graves had to share. He said that I have been on many paid hunts in my day, but none had frightened me to such an extent as did my trip into the Northwest Territory of Canada. Up until this point in time, being treed by a charging bull moose was as bad as it got. But on this trip, that would be trumped in spades. So here we go. 
I had made my way into the territory much in the usual way, which was by jet, helicopter, and bush plane, reaching the point where I met my guide, Pierre St. Clair, and his two-man team, who would accompany me for the week on the hunt. Pierre's encampment was well-equipped, and for the most, most of the trip, we, we would be carried about by a pair of Argo six-wheelers through the hills and valleys. On the fifth day of our excursion, we were camping in two tents in a clearing in the brush below what I will describe as a small mountain, similar to those found in the Adirondacks in New York State. Pierre was in the tent with me, and the two other fellows were only feet away from us as the day's light waned into night. Now, I am by no means a sound sleeper, with my mind racing both day and night about this, that, or the other thing. Even on the hunt, I'm still thinking about the practice and my patients, most of whom are very sick. And there is an incessant guilt, I feel, whenever I take time for myself, such as this hunting trip. It was about 2 a.m. when I began to hear some sounds which seemed to be fairly close to our camp. They sounded something like oop, 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 which reminded me of a silverback gorilla that I had once heard. I had heard about a dozen of these sounds over a period of about 20 minutes as I was now wide awake and looking at my watch. At some point, I rocked Pierre out of his sleep, telling him what I had been hearing and asking him to listen as well. Being the consummate professional, Pierre immediately sat up to listen with me in the hope of hearing what I had. Well, it didn't take long, for only a minute or two had passed, and there it was again. Oop, oop, oop. I could tell he was more than a bit puzzled, and this immediately gave me reason for concern. When your guide doesn't know what you're hearing in his own backyard, this is always a reason for concern in the bush. These sounds were loud and deep. And my opinion at the time was that they were being made by a very large animal of some sort. After this last series of sounds, we sat in silence for about 10 minutes as Pierre stuck his head out of the zipper with the lights out, looking in the direction of where the sounds had come from. When he had pulled his head back into the tent, he took his revolver out of its holster. And looking at me in the dark, he whispered, just in case. Shortly after he had pulled the revolver out, he raised his finger to his mouth, signaling for me to be quiet. I had heard nothing, but apparently he had. Having long ago learned that the hearing of someone living in a bush is like that which I myself had when I was a youth, I sat quietly again hearing nothing. These men don't live in the sounds of what we call normal societal living, which damage our ears so gradually that we're unaware that we cannot hear. And then I heard it, very, very faintly, 
but I heard what sounded like two legs walking under the bodily weight of a very heavy creature. I mouthed the words to Pierre, what is that? He looked at me in a way that said he didn't know. The sounds, which I knew were footsteps, sounded like they were very close to our tent and that of our buddies, who were asleep and entirely unaware of what was going on. Suddenly, Pierre shouted, Go! He pulled the zipper and launched out of the tent with me right behind him, rifle in hand. Pierre's shout got an immediate response from the two guys next to us. As we stood looking, trying to get our focus on the surrounding area, the other fellows were out of their tent and saying to Pierre in French, what's going on? Pierre pointed as the four of us stood watching what was a huge two-legged monster retreating out into the distance. Whatever it was, it moved very quickly, stopping once or twice to look back in our direction, and on one of these glances, I saw what appeared to be an eye glowing red. The other two men kept repeating something back and forth in French, and when I asked Pierre what they were saying, he said, Sasquatch. I wasn't ignorant of the term, with this being 1997. And it is, in fact, exactly what I was thinking before they had said anything. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would ever come in contact with this so-called mythological beast. And yet, there was absolutely, absolutely no other rational explanation for what we had just heard and seen. This creature had to have been some nine or ten feet tall. The brush it had moved away in was all of five to six feet tall, and it stood several or more feet proud of it. To me, the sounds which I heard initially were coming from two different directions, but in the moment when we exited the tent, both of our eyes were drawn to the first thing that we saw moving. In hindsight, I believe there must have been two or more and we had only caught a glance of one of them. We stayed awake for the remainder of the night as the men were were full of piss and vinegar over what had transpired. Pierre, being both my guide and my translator for the other men, said that Rudy had an encounter with one of these creatures near Yellowknife some years ago in which one of these monsters had bluff-charged them as they were approaching a downed animal, this being done in apparent act of trying to keep the beast for itself. Rudy had fired a round into the air, and the creature fled the scene in haste. At sunup, we had found some prints in the surrounding area which were definitely made by the creature of which there was no doubt in any of our minds. We left the area, heading many miles to the southwest to continue my hunt. After that night's activity, I don't believe I slept 24 hours in the entire following four days. 
What do you think of that, Kev? Pretty creepy, huh? Holy moly. Man, they're way up there in the Northwest Territories of Canada, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's where you go. Nine or ten feet tall? Like, I mean, what the heck? I mean, that's just like, you want to, eight feet's bad enough for me at, you know, a thousand pounds. You talk nine, ten feet. That is a whole nother dimension. Yeah, gonna, <laughs> ten feet, you're going to hit your head on a basketball rim. <laughs> you know, really, that's my that's, me- crazy. that's my measuring stick when I hear about these things is a basketball rim. Oh, I know. You know, when you stand outside shooting some hoops and you're looking at that 10-foot mark, that is one enormous creature. Well, think think about how wide the creature has to be, too, to right. have the correct proportions of a Bigfoot and be 10 feet tall. Yeah, I mean, you're talking, what, like shoulders six feet wide? Got to be. Well, yeah, I was going to say at least four and a half, five feet. Yeah, some big bugger, boy. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man. And how about this? You're lucky to walk away from that sighting. Uh, how about him commenting that the other, uh, I don't know what you would call it, assistant, uh, you know, uh, laborer in the party, this other guy, Rudy, had been bluff charged in a place called Yellowknife when approaching a downed animal, something they had shot. And this thing was yeah. already on it, trying to scare them off of it so it could take it itself. Yeah, Yellowknife is way up there. Uh-huh. Um, that's up by, like, uh, if you've ever seen that television show with the Ice Road Truckers. Okay. That's, like, up at Yellowknife. So you're way up towards the uh, Arctic Circle up there, as far as I know. Well, you know, so it shows you, though... If this guy Rudy is correct, and who's to say he's not, you know? Yeah. The the fact that they had shot something, we have no indication in this uh, story here of did they track it a long time? At what point did they come upon the kill? But this thing was already there. Yep. So did it happen to just run by this thing? Or was this creature... Chasing it, having heard the gunshot, and knowing that a gun would kill it. That's the point I'm making. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, you know, I had uh, a friend of the podcast, Rick, up in Canada. Uh, and uh, when we were talking a couple of years back, he had we had discussed the fact that are they in fact aware of what a gun does? And possibly even taking advantage of it after a, a human has shot something. Yeah, I think only if they've come in contact with humans and guns, right? We can say that. Yeah. Definitively. Yeah, because there are a couple of accounts where people uh, were tracking an animal and then found them on it. Yeah. And, uh, well, same thing in the ocean. Think of it in the ocean, too. If they, Even if they don't know about the guns... And the humans, if they hear an animal struggling or sense an animal struggling, it's like if you're fishing, like for big fish, you know, in the ocean. Yeah. And you catch a marlin or something like that. It it does happen occasionally where like a shark will strike the marlin before you get it in the boat or a, a tuna. Yeah, you're 110 You know, a big shark will bite it. That's, you're real in the head of a tuna. Yeah, that's an excellent example, Kev, because you're 110% right. I mean... 
The yeah, shark. I don't know that the fish know that the sharks know about fishermen and fishing line and hooks, but they just know there's a fish struggling, so they're going to nail it. Yeah, they go over and bite half of its half yeah. of it off while it's still on the line fighting. You know, right? I think it's the same thing. Yeah. You know, if somebody shoots an animal and all of a sudden the animal's like, it starts struggling, then yeah. all of a sudden the Bigfoot wakes up from its nap and says like, hmm, that's how they like lunch over there. Well, of course, <laughs> we'd be foolish We'd be foolish to say that, you know, they didn't hear the gunshot go off, you know. Right. I mean, right. you're out in the silence of Yellowknife or anywhere else and all of a sudden you hear, BOOM! You know, right. you, you, they're aware. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I'm going further though and saying they might not even know what that is. Right. But they hear the animal struggle and say, "Like, hey, that sounds like lunch over there. I'm going." Yeah, time to go. <laughs> yeah. Until they learn that boom means bad. Yeah. For them too. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Now, what an account. Yeah. Northwest cool. Territory, cool. Canada. Oh yeah. Talk yeah. about a an unpopulated place. Like, holy cow, that's rural up there. Yeah, how about having this thing sneaking up on you when the only barrier between you and it is some flimsy tent? <laughs> yeah, think about that for no. a minute. You're in a tent, and you, when you get an eye on this thing, it's 10 feet tall, 9 feet tall, 8 feet tall, and you realize all you were in was this potato sack in your sleeping bag. And this thing was outside of your tent, man. That that is. Well, I told you when we were out in Yosemite and basically had like a, you know, a shower curtain of material between us and uh, a big bear. Uh. That was right outside, and you know we could hear him like, and then you could see his shadow. Uh. And I was like, holy cow! And I was with my little kids at the time. Oh my! They were sleeping. Thankfully, they didn't wake up. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, so that's it. Another uh, hair-raising encounter. I tell you what, I'm not envious. I wouldn't want to be in that situation, to be honest with you. No, no. So Now, anybody that says they want to be, that's that's naive, you know, Yeah, you've been there. Yeah, it's like uh, false bravado. Exactly. You know, like crazy. Like could be insanity too. <laughs> yeah, could be insanity. <laughs> like the old comedian said, my knees weren't knocking, they were missing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, whoa. <laughs> so what do we have in our listener mail today, Kev? Yeah, so our first uh, email came in from Chris in Missouri. Uh-huh. And this one's uh, definitely in the freaky deaky category. Um, he sends in a picture of this underwater minotaur statue. Oh. Right, well, so you- a human with the head of a... Uh, bull i guess it looks like Mm -hmm. and he says guys this isn't a live cryptid story but it's definitely weird Mm -hmm. have you heard about the minotaur statue found under a lake in the panagonia region of south america there was also a very strange mask found nearby (laughs) at first i thought it might be an ancient statue but it has a modern day padlock attached to it I think this could definitely fall under the subject of other oddities. <laughs> and how about the writing on that mask? Very strange, Chris from Missouri. And Chris, I would say it's in the freaky deaky category. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, again, Kev, like who who goes to the trouble of hiding it there and who's gonna find it? 
I know. Like, you know. But I they, don't know. But it's uh I don't know if you saw the picture, Bill, but he's like standing upright on the bottom of the lake, this minotaur. Like uh-huh. can you imagine you're down there scuba diving and you see this thing, you're like, Whoa <laughs> What the hell is that? <laughs> Remember the creature from the Black Lagoon? Yes, yes. That would be kind of like it, you know. You just see that thing standing there, you know, like uh oh. Yeah, this thing's got this thing's even creepier, Bill, because it's got a good set of horns on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Minotaurs are that way. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is freaky, and I'm glad he sent that in. But I have a feeling that the uh, same people who put it there. Uh, started the stir in some way about it being there so that it could be found and talked about. You know what I mean? Oh, it could be. could be, but still, it's, like, pretty wild. (laughs) And what's the the chain and lock supposed to do? Keep it in place? I don't know. (laughs) That's where it's... It's got a heart buried in its chest. Keeps the heart in. Uh, well, thanks for sending that in, bro. Very interesting. Yeah, that was good. That was good. All right. And our next one comes from Joe from Michigan. And the subject is Red Dwarf. Uh-huh. And it says, hey, guys, hope you're doing well. Just listen to the episode that Kev talked about leprechauns on. Kevin, you should look into the Red Dwarf of Detroit. Love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Oh, and hi, Bill. <laughs> well, well played, Joe. But no, I have not heard of the Red Dwarf from Detroit, and I haven't even looked into it yet to see if you're pulling my leg, Joe. But uh, I will definitely check it out. I put it on the list, and I love folks to get input from all of you of uh, other cryptids and oddities to look into. So, Joe, thank you. It's on the list. Yeah. You will hear about it soon. Yeah, I might have actually seen a red dwarf walking through the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. All right. All right. And our last email comes in from Izzy from Vermont. Uh-huh. So, dear Bill and Kevin, my name is Izzy, and I'm a 12-year-old girl living in the deep woods of Vermont. First off, I just want to say how much my family and I love your podcast. My dad especially. Every morning while he's cooking breakfast, I'll hear the distant intro of your podcast coming from the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when we drive anywhere, there's no other podcast we'd rather listen to than yours. There isn't much news on Bigfoot in Vermont, but the other day on a walk, my dad saw some big footprints, larger than normal, that were spaced eight feet apart in the snow. Hello. How could a human take such large strides? My dad was convinced it was Bigfoot. I believed him, but my brother didn't. (laughs) Anyway, just emailing to say that your podcast is the best. Ten stars. Sincerely, Izzy from Vermont. Thank you so much, Izzy. And, you know, Vermont has some sightings up there, and, of course... You know, parts of Vermont, like uh, I, I I talked about a while back on one of our episodes that I was up in Whitehall, New York, uh, site of a famous episode, and it's right adjacent to Vermont there. So, Yeah, I remember. These uh, hairy men know no borders. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I remember that one uh, account near that uh, beaver beaver pond or whatever it was where the people came up on it and it seemed like the creature was picking through the, uh, would it be a nest that they had made at a, what do they call a beaver's house? Like a lodge? A dam, right? Uh, Usually it's a dam. The dam is what they create to keep the water from flowing. Yeah, I think they live in it though. I guess it's a lodge. Okay. Yeah, just, uh, I do recall that one in Vermont. And there's others, too, but that one always comes into my mind. Interesting. And Izzy, of course, taking a stab at her brother. (laughs) (laughs) My brother. The doubter he is. (laughs) We believe, but my brother doesn't. I wonder if his name is Thomas. Doubting (laughs) Thomas. (laughs) But thanks for being a fan, Izzy. And folks, thanks to all of you for listening. Um, we really enjoy the feedback. I love those five-star reviews as well. Uh, keep them up. And if you haven't given us one lately, please send one in on your favorite podcast player. And again, thanks for listening. Spring is here. Hopefully the snow is melting where you live. And uh, you can get out there and do some hiking and look for some creatures. Mm-hmm. And by the way, folks... If you should find yourself hiking in and around the Gifford Pinchot National Forest, or perhaps you're hunting in Yellowknife, you better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.